all rise. The superior court of Israel is now in session. Did some of you almost stand up? <laughs> some of you almost did. The Honorable Moses Ben Amram is presiding. Take your seats and come to order. If you've ever been in a courtroom, you know that once those words are said, things are about to get real. And in our text this morning, things are about to get real. Uh, God, here's a summary of where we've been in Exodus from 1 to, to chapter 20. God delivered his people from Egypt, out of their slavery from Egypt for 400 plus years. He brought them out with a mighty hand. He delivered them into the wilderness uh, and, gave, and provided for them in that wilderness. He, he gave them his law. We saw last week in the, in the Ten Commandments, in the, the Decalogue. And the Decalogue can be summarized. The Ten Commandments can be summarized in this way. You've probably heard this before. Love God and love others. That's basically what the law is all about. Love God supremely and love others like you love yourself. Uh, it seems simple until you try to do it. What God gives Moses in the next three chapters, the end of chapter 20, 21, 22, and 23, is not just a bunch of random laws, but most of us treat them like that. Most of us look at Exodus 21 through 23 as like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's going on. It's, it's really hard. Uh, and it is hard. I, I'm with you on that. And it's, and it's been a closed book to most of it because it seems random, God's not just giving a bunch of random laws, though they're not in a logical order or flow. God is giving to Moses and the other judges case law, jurisprudence, for how to apply the Ten Commandments. Love God with all your heart. Don't have any graven images. Um, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How are you supposed to apply those? God gives case law and jurisprudence for how to do that. How to judge between cases when people aren't doing that. How to apply God's law. Because it actually matters. The book of the covenant, or Exodus 20, through Exodus 23, 33, we call it the book of the covenant because God is, is giving the terms of the covenant and, and, and certain case law to help people apply God's law. Isn't he good? Isn't he kind? To help us just to not just give us law and say do it, but like this is how it should apply. This is God, a God-given help for his people to apply the law. So a man named Michael Barrett, who was the president of my seminary at one time, says this. The primary lesson to be learned from the book of the covenant, this section of scripture, is that application of God's law extends to every part of life. There's no insignificant part of your life. There's no part of your life that's too small that God's law and gospel will not apply there. So you have questions about decisions you should make. You have questions about how you should interact with culture. You, you have questions about what, what you should do regarding a specific law uh, in our U.S. Constitution or in our government or, or Oregon Constitution. Which, how should I do that? Uh, there's no part of life that is too small or insignificant to be exempt from God-pleasing behavior. 
There's some timeless truths going on here. God wants us to get at, but it takes work and wisdom. He wants us to get at them and then apply them to our lives, just like he gave them to Israel. So, if you don't get anything else from this, you can and should apply God's law to every part of life. You should embody the gospel. You, sh- you can and should apply God's law to every part of your life, meaning you should embody the gospel. But we have to ask the question, why is this a closed book for us? When's the last time you had your devotions in Exodus 21 through 23, except for part of a Bible reading plan? No hands, right? Me either, until you know I read it this week because I had to prepare for a sermon. So here's the deal. We're gonna get at some principles in order to help us get to the timeless truth so that we can learn to apply all of God's word to our life. Because the Old Testament is God's word too. And it contains the gospel and it points to Jesus. So I have one presupposition and four principles to start off with, just to help us get at where's the timeless truth and how do we apply this. So the first thing, the presupposition is an assumption, right? We, there's something assumed in this argument. And we admit that. We are assuming, well, we're assuming lots of things, that God exists. But the main thing that we're assuming in the argument that's about to follow is that God's word is true and must be believed. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, that's both Old Testament and New Testament, all scripture is breathed out by God. Theopneustos. It's God breathed. So when someone tells you this is just a, a book written by men, no, no, no. This is a book written by God through men. Everything that men wrote is exactly what God wanted. But it's not just God breathed, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. So the ramifications for not believing that, for not having that presupposition, is that book, this book remains closed for us. So why don't we read it? Well, maybe we don't believe this, or maybe we're just not getting, we, we just don't have the, the tools to get at it. So presupposition, we must believe that God's word is true and profitable, all of it, including Exodus 21 through 23. The second thing we want to get at is, is more of a principle, uh, and that is that, that we must interpret God's word, right? We, we are looking at the Bible, and we're reading it, and, I, and if I say, what, is it, what, is the, the, what does the Bible say here in Exodus uh, 20, verse 22, and you just go on to read that, I, I can do that. You must go on to interpret it. What does it say? What does it mean by what it says? What does it mean to those that it was written to? What did, what did the author mean when he wrote it? What does it mean for them and then? We have to interpret it. This is called hermeneutics. We have to interpret the Bible. What does it mean by what it says? So we get in there and we do the work and we, we read and we read and we read and we read what other people wrote about it and, and we, we read what other scriptures say about our passage. You have to interpret the Bible, what does it mean by what it says? And then the, the third thing we have to do is come to a, a set of convictions based on our interpretation. 
You have to come to an interpretation to believe that what God's word is true, you have to interpret it, and then you have to believe your interpretation is, is, is as, as good as you, can, uh, as you can humanly possible think of it. I'm, I'm not talking about 100% certainty, but relative certainty so that you can act on what you believe. Now, if, I, if I'm honest, I think this is a, a problem in our current church culture, uh, not just here, just everywhere, is coming to convictions based on your interpretation. You actually believe what it says, and that really matters for your life. So you believe God's word is true, you interpret it, you come to some sort of set of convictions. And then, and then the fourth thing is that we contextualize it. And this is where it's really important for our text, uh, text this morning. We have to contextualize, that is to put it in our context. So if you start to apply the Old Testament law, ancient texts, to our current contexts, without contextualizing it, you're gonna come up some, with some really weird things for today. It happens all the time. And you're gonna be very inconsistent. So growing up, I grew up in uh, a, a church that interpreted Deuteronomy 22.5. Let's just, let's just take it here. Deuteronomy 22.5. It says, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, the leaders in the denomination that I was in then went on to make a rule in the church that you cannot wear, women cannot wear pants. Any, anyone else think that's a little bit inconsistent? And I would, I would ask you why you think it's inconsistent. Because if you go on to Deuteronomy 22, 11, it says, you shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. So why is it not okay for women to wear pants, but it's okay for me to wear this shirt that has mixed fabric? Do, do you see? We must contextualize uh, in order to understand the timeless, we have to understand the timeless truth and contextualize in order to apply it to our time and day. Deuteronomy 22, uh, 5 was, was was probably most likely about women and men cross dressing, uh, probably in in terms of um, uh, cultish worship. Uh, and, 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 and prostitution happening in, involved in the, the cult of worship. Uh, and, and so God is getting behind something totally different than women not wearing pants. So we, ha- we have to be careful. And then the last thing is that we must behave according to our convictions. So we interpret, we have convictions, we contextualize, and then we behave according to our convictions. So all of this is meant to get us behind the timeless truth that we find God's words profitable and true. The timeless truths, get at them, and then we can apply them to ourselves with theological reflection on the gospel. So timeless truth stands, and the application changes. We, that we must get that through our heads. Uh, otherwise, we're gonna apply the word, we're gonna apply the Old Testament in a weird way, or we're just, it's just gonna be a closed book to us. Or we're not gonna apply it at all. Okay, 
All of that was, was pre-work for, for this, all right? Uh, you can and should apply God's law to every area of your life, to every area of your life. Get to the timeless principles in order to apply God's word to every area of life. So we're just gonna, we're gonna take a couple case law studies, just a few. We're not gonna go through this, the whole book of the covenant. We're gonna take a few, and then I want you to think about how to do this on your own and take the rest of, of Exodus on your own and, and start to learn how to apply the timeless principles to your life, to, to your situation, to your context. So now that the court has come to order, let's hear the first case. In the prologue, we learn that we must worship God his way. This is the first division of the law, commandments one through four. Worship God his way. So Exodus 20, 22 through Exodus, uh, excuse me, through the end of Exodus 20 to the end of Exodus 23, what God is doing is giving case law for how to, how to apply the 10 commandments. So in this first section, in the prologue, worship God his way applies to the first division of the law or the second commandment. Don't make any graven images. So let's hear this case. It's just, I want you to imagine that Moses is before Israel and the judges are bringing hard cases before Moses. And just, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to do a little contextualizing ourselves. Just put yourself in like a courtroom setting like you would know. So the, the attorney comes before the judge, Moses. He says, your honor, uh, we have case 202226, Israel versus Ithamar. The defendant is accused of having an idol of gold in his possession. The idol was found in his luggage by his children, but he claims that it was given to him by an Egyptian on the way out of Egypt. Your honor, he was not using it for worship and he didn't, he didn't have it displayed prominently anywhere in his tent. Uh, and he claims that he plans to use this golden idol to buy and to sell when he gets into the promised land. So, you're the judge. What's your ruling? How are you going to apply commandment two to this situation? Commandment two is, well, let's read it. Commandment number two. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the important part of the law here is that you shall not have any graven images. You shall not bow down and worship them. So what is, what is the law getting at? What's your ruling? Well, take some work and some wisdom to apply this law. The principle of the law's first division is that Yahweh alone must be worshipped. And the second commandment particularly says that God cares about the way he's worshipped. 
He cares about how we do it. When we come in here together as God's people, he cares about what elements of worship we have. That Be careful not to bring in the things that will aid you in worship, that you might get your mind fixed on that thing instead of the eternal God. And God cares about the way he's worshiped. He doesn't want to be worshiped through idols or images. He is a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. So you must not use what you can see to worship what you cannot see. However, this man is not using this idol for worship. So what would your ruling be? Not guilty. (laughs) Not guilty, right? Maybe you would disagree, and that's okay. That's okay. We We can have a conversation about that but probably not guilty. So Moses comes in not guilty with a recommendation to melt down the idol into small cylinders so he can use it for money later on. This is is how we try to come to God's law, interpret it, and apply it. It takes work and it takes wisdom, dear friends, to, to get at what is God's law behind this. What about your life? Let's just get real right now. Some of you are having sex outside of marriage. Have you ever considered why that's wrong? Have you ever considered why uh, sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend is, uh, is something that God doesn't want you to do? And why? Well, you must go to the Word and do the work and ask for wisdom to apply this law. What's the law? Well, you have to find it. Why is it wrong? And what should I do about it? God wants us to use his law for our good because he's he's given it to us for our good. Let's Let's do one more. Proper treatment of slaves. God is here helping us apply another commandment. So this one is a little bit trickier. Your honor, the next case is 21111, Paulu versus Hanuk. The plaintiff is accusing the defendant of violating his right to be free on the seventh year. Paulu has worked for uh, Hanuk for six years in one day. So what is... What is wrong with that? Well, in Exodus 21, verse 1, God gives case law about slaves. Now, these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh, he shall go out free for for nothing. If he comes in single, he should go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free, then this master shall bring him to God and he shall bring to him to the door of the doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall be his slave forever." And it goes on to talk more about it. But the important part about the law is the Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. So 
In this fictional case, uh, this one man works for the other as, uh, as, a, as an indentured servant or a slave for six years and one day. And I think I have my math right here, but uh, he was supposed to let him go. So, so what should Moses, how should Moses apply this case law about God gives laws about, about slaves for, uh, for is essentially employees for, for the good of his people, not only for, for the one in, who is indentured service, but also for the one who is in authority. So which command, which command do you think this is trying to apply? Which command of the Decalogue do you think this is trying to apply? You don't have to answer. But just think about it for a second. How, which command of the Ten Commandments is, is this case law trying to apply? Well, it might surprise you that it's the Fifth Commandment. In the Fifth Commandment, God says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, the Lord God is giving you. Father and mother, slaves. I don't get it. Well, actually, the Westminster Larger Catechism is really helpful here. Uh, and what it says is that mother and father actually stand for the relationships of superiors and inferiors. Fathers and mothers stand for all those in authority. So there are responsibilities for those in authority and those under authority. God has given not just children to obey parents, but employees to, in, in, to obey employers, um, and, and uh, citizens to obey those in authority and government. So how do you love your neighbor as yourself in regards to the fifth commandment? In our, in our scenario here, Someone who is in authority has enslaved somebody else for longer than they should have. Longer than they were legally supposed to. So what happened? Did he forget? Did he have to, a project that he really needed finished? Just one more day, if you could just give me one more day on this project, then I'll let you go. Neither of those are good enough excuses to enslave someone so how do you do, what do you do, the work and the wisdom? You should apply God's law to every area of life. So need, we need the work and the wisdom in order to apply this. In question 30 of the larger catechism, it says, it asks the question about what is the sin here of the authority over the, those in authority? What, what are the sins of those in authority? The sins of those in authority are besides the neglect of all the duties required of them, is the excessive or inordinate seeking of their own glory, ease, profit, or pleasure. Is the excessive seeking of their own glory, ease, profit, or pleasure. Friend, you can break the fifth commandment if you overwork somebody. If you ask somebody to work more than they should for your own glory, ease, profit, or pleasure. Friends, God's law applies to every area of our life. Mothers and, and fathers, you can break the fifth commandment if, you're, if you ask your kids to do something in a way that exacerbates them. 
And this, this commandment as a, a applied to a slave to let them go free on the seventh year is for the good of, of, of both the indentured servant and, and the society. So think about how that applies to your own life. How, how does God want you to love your neighbor as yourself, showing that you actually love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? If you're in authority, how do you use that authority? As a teacher, as an employer, as a pastor, as a government official? Are you praying for those under your authority? That's part of what God wants you to do. That's part of what it means for uh, superiors and, and those under authority to relate to one another rightly. And we won't do any more of, of these, but I, I just want to draw your attention to the, the six other sections of this text. There, you know, in, in the next section of text, Exodus 21, 12 through 32, uh, God is applying the fifth, sixth, and eighth commandments to people's lives. In Exodus 21, 23, you have the law of lex talionis. And I want you to just, if you read that, ask yourself, is this about revenge or is this, is this to promote reasonableness? In, in Exodus 21, 33 through 22, 15, it talks about, uh, it's a proper view of things, how to apply the eighth commandment to not steal. Friends, the failure to protect the property of others constitutes theft. It doesn't matter what the property is, but if you fail to protect someone else's property, you are guilty of theft, according to God's law. Loving one's neighbor requires honoring what belongs to them. Not because things are more important, but, uh, but, this, is, but this is how God has ordered society in terms of property. So destroying other people's property, whether um, by, by omission uh, or, or doing, it, doing it on purpose or, or, or by not doing anything at all, you're guilty of God's law. Uh, maybe some of you want to think about this, home break-ins in Exodus 22, verses 2 following. Uh, God here has protections for the thief. Exodus, the, the next section, Exodus 22, 16 through 31, talks about proper social responsibility. How do you love God and love neighbor here? Uh, Exodus 23, one through nine, is proper social justice. Uh, God wants proper justice in court, justice towards your enemy, justice to the sojourner, the, the person, the foreigner who is among you, because you were sojourners in Egypt. And the whole point here is that truth must prevail in every area of life. And he goes on in the next section to talk about proper rest and worship. And then he promises in the epilogue at the very end that he will be with them to bring them into the promised land and, and, and kick out all of the inhabitants that are desecrating his name through child sacrifice and, and sexual immorality. And we come to the end here, friends. And we must ask, how can we rightly interpret God's word so that his so his law, so we might apply his law to every area of life. Well, you have to find the timeless truth behind the commandments. And maybe you need some helps, like the Westminster Larger Catechism. 
to do that. And then you contextualize it for your time and context. And then you behave according to the con- your conviction with humility. But what does this have to do with Christianity? Are we law people? Are we just here to create more rules and laws for people to bear the weight under God's law? Friends, God gave his good law that his people might live and love. To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself is what you were made for. But friends, the the law can't get you back to God. The law can't get you back to God once you've broken it. And everyone in this room has broken it. None of us have applied it the way we should have. And every one of us is at fault in thought, word, or deed of breaking God's good commandments. The law cannot save anyone from God's holy wrath against sin. The Bible tells us that the law came to increase our sin, our trespasses, Not because there's anything wrong with the law, but because we are sinners to the core. Even our thoughts and our motives are are, are wrecked by sin. And the law is a perfect reflection of God's character. And as, as sinners hold up the holy law of God's word as a mirror, it doesn't solve our sin problem but it reveals to us how great of sinners we are. It increases our sin. And you know this by experience, don't you? If you're walking down the sidewalk and someone says, don't walk on the grass, what do you automatically want to do? I didn't want to walk on the grass before, but now I do, right? That's what the law does for our sinful hearts. The law comes in and exposes us down to the core our very thoughts are wrecked by sin. Romans 5, 20 through 21 says, now the law, came, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what that is saying. The law came in to increase our sin. It came in increasing our sin. The more we know about the law, the more we sin, the more we want to sin. But where sin increased, abounded, the Bible says grace superabounded. It increased all the more. You cannot out-sin God's grace, Christian. It will abound to you because as, as, as sin reigned in death, grace will reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law cannot solve our sin problem, but what can? Grace can. Grace can bring us into a right relationship with God. Grace alone can save us. As the law was given to Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus, the eternal son of God, came to live out the law perfectly and die in your place so that grace might reign in you. How can that happen? How can grace reign in you? 
Friends, we're gonna see a drama of that in Orion's baptism today. If you want to apply God's life, God's grace, God's law in your life, grace must first reign. And, and for grace to reign, you must die. You cannot apply the law of God like we're talking about apart from grace. There is no grace apart from death. And baptism signifies that. Baptism is a, a sign that grace comes to you through the death of Jesus. So Orion's gonna get baptized as a sign that grace has come to him through the death of Jesus. It's been applied to his heart and life through Jesus's work, not his own. God himself entered that death for you. Dear friend, if, if you've never received Jesus Christ, if you're, if you're wondering what the weight is that you carry around, if you, if you wonder why uh, you sin so much, even in your, in your mind and your thoughts and your, in your words and in your deeds, if you wonder why uh, that is, it's because you are a sinner by birth and by choice. But Jesus has come in to take that burden off of you. You're wandering around like a, a pilgrim with a bag on his back that's too heavy for you to bear. And at the cross, at the cross of Jesus Christ where he died, and then rose again, your burden can be lifted off of your back. Your, your sins can be taken away from you by believing in him and repenting of your sins. And baptism shows that in a mysterious way that Jesus, that God brings us into Jesus' death. As we believe in him and repent of our sins, we, we get the benefits of Jesus' life and death. His righteousness he gets our sin. And, and here's what Romans 6 says. Now, if that's all true, if grace abounds when I sin, should I keep on sinning? What, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So how can you love God and, and love others? How can you do that? You, you must die to yourself in Jesus Christ by believing in his death for you by repenting of your sins, asking him to forgive you. And you can enter into this newness of life and baptism is a picture of that happening. Baptism is, is not just your profession of, of faith in, in Jesus Christ. It is, baptism is God's profession that you are his child. When Jesus was baptized, uh, uh, the voice from heaven thundered and said, this is my beloved son. I I'm pleased with him. And baptism is not primarily an individual's act. When Orion goes into the waters of baptism, it's not just him acting. It is God acting, putting his name, the name of the Trinity on Orion, telling all of us, this one is mine. He's my son. 
and no one can pluck him out of my hands. This is an act of God enacted through the church. It's a symbol of something that has happened. But the act itself brings the believer into fellowship with the church. And it's the act where God publicly puts his name on you. So Orion, your baptism is a means of grace for you. Meant to remind you in your times of doubt that God loves you and has put his name on you. No one can pluck you out of his hand. It's a testimony to all of you that when God comes after somebody, he is going to save them. And it's a hard saving, friends. It's through death, to die to yourself, to be raised in Jesus. This baptism is is a picture of Jesus keeping the law for us and then giving us all the benefits. We die in him and raised to new life, not, not to perfectly live out the law anymore, but one day we will. We rise to new life to love God and love others. This is the gospel, friends. Will you believe it? And as Orion goes into the waters of baptism, Christian, if you are a Christian, you should remember your own baptism. You entered into the waters of baptism, symbolizing, it's a sign and seal of God's great grace upon you, and you go down, it's symbolizing his death. When he died, you died. And when you rise again, when you come up, it's symbolizing his life. When he lives, you live. And even as you come out, out of the waters, the drama is, is rich in the, the water that falls off of Orion as he comes up out of the waters to remind us that our sins are, are washed away and so are yours through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains.